Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. The Bible tells us, pray without ceasing. There's a time for public prayer, and there's a time for private prayer, but there's never a time that we don't pray. Every minute of every day, we should be in an attitude talking to our Father. And uh, so please keep, keep praying. I know that uh, all of us in the family will. Um, as, as many of you know, I teach a Bible study here at River of Life, and uh, I've been doing that for many, many years. And um, I have a kind of an unwritten rule that every time, about four or five times a year, uh, I get an opportunity to preach. And I have this kind of unwritten rule, and the rule is this, don't preach what you teach. It's kind of just a personal thing. I, I got reasons for it, but uh, I, I try not to rehash or redo what I'm teaching in my Bible study in, in my sermons. So that's don't preach what you teach. That's kind of a, a rule, and today I'm going to break that rule. Now, the reason I'm going to break that rule is because something happened to me about a month ago that made such an impact in my life that I, I, I can't think about nothing else. I, I've just not been able to move on. I've not been able to think about anything else. And it was something that I dealt with that my guess is many of you dealt with. And so I, I just feel compelled to come to you today and tell you what happened to me and uh, share with what share with you what God did in my life. Now, to understand what happened to me, you got to kind of understand that I've got this routine. And my routine is is that uh, I pre I teach every Wednesday night, and then I go home, and the next morning I get up and I get a cup of coffee, and I go in and I sit down in front of my computer and I read the next passage. So right now we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. So I'll cover a passage and then another, then another, all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and that's, my, that's my normal r- routine. And what I'll do is when I read that passage, I will read it in multiple translations. I'll read commentaries on it. Maybe I'll go to some, read some articles on it or whatever. And then for just a day or two, I'll just think about it. I'll just kind of let it roll over in my mind and start thinking about how I'm going to formulate my my lesson. Now, as I just mentioned, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, which of course is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we're almost done. In fact, this Wednesday night will be our, will be our concluding lesson. And about a month ago, got up on a Thursday morning, went in, got my coffee, sat down, and this is the passage that I read. This is the next passage in line, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, before I tell you what happened, I want to point out a few things about that passage. The first thing I want to point out is the word many. Many will say to me on that day. The Bible kind of has two ways. It never really gives us numbers, but it talks about the many and the few. This isn't a rare occurrence. This is not going to be uncommon. This is not something that's going to happen to a few people. This is going to happen to a whole lot of people. The second thing I want to point out is what they call him, Lord, Lord. You see, what that tells us is he's not talking to atheists. He's not talking to agnostics. He's not talking to people who don't go to church, who aren't religious. Those people don't call him Lord. They're not in play here. I'll tell you something else it tells us. He's not talking to Muslims. He's not talking to Buddhists. He's not talking to pantheists or any other false religion. They don't call him Lord. He's not even talking to those Jews who practice Judaism. They certainly don't believe in Jesus. They just think he's a, a failed Messiah in, another, in just a long line of failed Messiahs. He's not talking to them. You see, he's talking to us. He's talking to professing Christians. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to people just like you and me. The third thing I'll point out is, in your name, they said. They did all this stuff, and in their mind, whatever that means, they're saying it. I did it under your banner. I did it for you. And then the final thing I want to point out is that word, never. I've heard people say sometimes, well, these were probably Christians, and and they did all this stuff, and then they fell away, and Jesus said, no. What did he say? I never knew you. Not, I knew you for a while and you walked away or, or, no, he says, I never knew you. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot imagine anything more horrible than that. I just can't imagine anything more horrifying than that. To go through your whole life and think, I'm okay. I'm I'm doing everything all right. I'm calling him Lord. I'm doing all this stuff. and, And you think, boy, when I die, I'm going to heaven. And you stand there on that day and you hear, the. I just can't imagine anything worse than saying, I never knew you. Get away from me. Depart from me. Leave my presence. Knowing that there is no do-overs. There is no second chances. This, this is it. I can't imagine anything more horrible. Now, on this Thursday morning, I knew, I knew that passage was there. It wasn't like it jumped up and surprised me. I've, I've read it multiple times. I've, I've heard it preached before. And, and certainly I knew that it was in chapter 7. I knew it was coming. I also knew, by the way, that that, that, chap, uh, that passage always made me uncomfortable. My guess is it's making you uncomfortable right now. In fact, I asked them to leave it up the whole time. Don't take it down. That, that passage has always bothered me. I was telling a friend of mine that I was going to be teaching on that passage, and they said to me, man, I hate that scripture. 
And I know what he meant. He meant, I hate the way it makes me feel, right? I hate that it gives me anxiety, that it, that it puts a, a seed of doubt in my mind. And I understood that. I, I feel that as well. But on that morning when I got up and I read that, and I read it again, and I read it again, something unexpected happened to me that I did not see coming. And I'm going to put it real simply, I panicked. I just had, I just panicked. I've never had an anxiety attack. I don't really understand what that feels like or anything like that. But all I can tell you is in that moment, fear gripped my heart. And I lost my assurance of salvation in a second. It's just gone. Gone. And, 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 and the weird thing was, the more I read it, the worse it got. I just kept going back to it. And I said, well, okay, okay, I call him Lord. Yeah, well, well they do that. And then I started going down all the evidence in my life. Well, I'm on the church board, and I preach, and I teach Bible study, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing this, but I ain't doing that. Everything I did came up short. I'm not casting out any demons. I'm not prophesying. I'm not healing anybody. Their works are way greater than mine. So every, everything I did, it just got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. My, any assurity I had of my salvation was just gone. Gone. And I'm not talking about two hours. I'm talking about days. Now, I began to do what anybody in a panic would do, and I began to pray. My, my house backs up to the National Forest, and there's some roads out there where uh, I take my dog, and we go out and walk, and I just began to walk, and I just began to pray, God, help me. Help me. I, I don't want... My first prayer was, I don't, please don't let me be deceived. Please don't let me be deceived. I don't want to be those people. Please don't let that be me. And then I start to pray, God, I can't live like this. I, I can't live not knowing. This would be absolutely miserable. Now, let me tell you, I made three huge mistakes that day. Looking back a month later, three really big mistakes that I shouldn't have made, but I made them. The first mistake was this. My reaction to that should have told me immediately something was wrong. You see, the Bible says you've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of, of love and power and a sound mind. Folks, listen to me. That, what I felt wasn't conviction. I know conviction. I feel conviction. I'm very familiar with conviction. And by the way, if, you, if, you're, if you're not fear, you say, well, you've been saved a long time. Yeah, and I know conviction. I feel it every single day. That wasn't conviction. What I felt was fear. And I should have known this isn't coming from God. Not only that, I know God is a loving heavenly father. Listen to me. I said this to my class. I'm a dad. And, and I have been disappointed in my children. I have been angry with my children. I've said to my children things that I probably should have never said to them. But let me tell you something I would never do in a million years. The thought would ever, never enter my mind to make my children think that they don't belong to me. Are you with me? That would never enter my mind. I can get angry with them. I can discipline them. I can be disappointed in them. In fact, the reason I feel all those things is because they are mine. I would never 
Never want them to doubt their assurance that they belong to me for one second. Jesus said in Matthew seven eleven, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to you? If I would never do that to my children, come on, God would never do that. I should have recognized that immediately, but I didn't. So here I am, I'm in this panic, I'm praying, God, you got to help me. And God answered my prayer, because He is good, and He is loving, and He is merciful. But here's the thing, you know, we sing that song, the wind and the waves know His name. God could have easily just spoke to my situation and took that feeling away, but He didn't. He, gave, he, he, he dealt with it in a way that I would have something in my heart so that if it ever happens again, I can go back to it. Are you with me? He doesn't just take it away. He deals with it the right way. And he also dealt with it in a way that I can stand here a month later and share it with you. So here's what he did. He took me back to the Sermon on the Mount. And he showed me the second mistake I had made, which as a teacher is a mistake that I tell people all the time, do not do this. And I did it. I took that verse, that passage, out of its context. You see, if you want to know what that means, you've got to read it in the context of the sermon. But what I did is I pulled it out, sat it in front of me, and I just started looking at those people, and I started comparing myself to those people, and next thing you know, I'm in a panic. Because I did what I tell people, do not do. So he said, he, he just, I mean, just, he just said, we got to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. So I went back to the beginning. And if you and I are going to, how many people in here, this unsettles you? Anybody? Can you raise your hands? Does that disturb you, unsettle you? I'm going to change that for you today, hopefully. So here's what he did. He took me back to the Sermon on the Mount. We went back to the very beginning. If you, if you go back to Matthew, uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I don't have a lot of time today, so certainly I can't go to every verse, so I'm just going to have to fly over it very quickly. But if you go back to the very first uh, verse of the sermon, Matthew 5, 1, it says this, And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach, or began to speak to them. Now, the crowds that day, you got to understand, the crowds that day that are sitting there on that mountain looking at him are Jews. They're Jewish. And the reason that's important, because everybody in that crowd believed that they were going to heaven. Everybody in that crowd believed they were already in the kingdom of God. Now, they believed that for a lot of reasons. Number one, they were the chosen people of God. They were the children of Abraham, the children of promise. But one of the reasons that they believed it was because God had given them the law. He had given them his expectations for how to behave, how to think, how to speak. And in their mind, they're keeping the law. So they're sitting there that day thinking, well, you know, this will be a good sermon, but we're, you know, we're already in heaven. And Jesus immediately just drops a bomb on them. In Matthew 5.20, he says this, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if we can understand how shocking that was, but let me put it this way. Can you imagine 
uh, Jesus coming up here and says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of Billy Graham, you're not going to heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of Mother Teresa or your Aunt Sally. The point is this. You think in your life of the most godly person you know. You think of the person that you know in your life that you think, boy, if anybody's going to heaven, they are. And Jesus says, no. Unless you're more righteous than them, you're not going in. I mean, you've got to understand, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, their whole job was to read the law, study the law, interpret the law, teach the law, practice the law. All the Jews looked up to them and think, man, these guys, they're, they're, they go above and beyond. If anybody's going to be in the kingdom, it's going to be them. And Jesus says, no, you've got to be better than them. And then he begins to literally, in chapter 5, lay down the law. He says things like this. He says, uh, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. He says, but I say to you, if you're even angry with your brother, you're in danger of judgment. He says things like this. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. In other words, you've been taught your whole life, as long as you don't commit the act, You've kept the law perfectly. He said this, but I say to you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You're an adulterer just because of the way you think. He said this, you've been taught your whole life an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know what that means? They had been taught that it's perfectly fine to get revenge as long as you don't go beyond what they did to you. They kill your goat, you kill their goat. They steal your $20, you steal their $20. They take your eye, you take their eye. Just don't go above it. And as long as you don't go beyond what they did to you, you've kept the law perfectly. And Jesus said, but I say to you, don't even resist an evil person. I say to you, turn the other cheek. He says, you've been taught your whole life, love love your neighbors, but it's okay to hate your enemies. After all, they're your enemies. As long as you love your neighbor but hate your enemy, you're okay. And Jesus said, no. No, the law says love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. You see, the Jews had lowered the bar, which was way up here. They lowered it all the way down so they could reach it. How many people in this world are doing that? We know what the law says, but we say, well, he doesn't really mean that. He knows I'm a good person. I know it says this, but what we do is we lower it and lower it and lower it so we can reach it. By the way, this is the same thing Satan said to Eve in the garden. Has, did God really say that? It's the same trick he continues to use. They had diluted the law so that it was outward only. And what he tells them is, no, God doesn't just require an outward righteousness. He requires an inward righteousness. He doesn't want you just to behave rightly. He wants you to think rightly. See, that's what he's teaching them. And by the way, he sums it all up in Matthew 5, 48. He says this, Therefore, in case you didn't get what I'm saying, he said this, Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's what God requires. You want to get into heaven? Be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, God's law reflects His character. 
And he alone is perfectly good, perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. That's why his law is, a, is, a, is, is something, it's a standard you and I, it's impossible for you and I to meet. Now listen, I could go on and give you more examples from chapter 6, and I could give you more examples from chapter 7. But if you read all the things he's telling us to do, we can't do any of them. And that's the point. That's the whole point. You can't do it. You can't do it. You will never get into the kingdom by trying to keep God's laws. Because he requires perfection. And by the way, you and I can't even keep one of them perfectly much less the whole thing. And let me just say this. Do you know why he does this? He says, and I don't remember where it is, Matthew 8 or Matthew 9, something like this. You don't go to the doctor until you figure out you're sick. And you won't go to a Savior until you know you're a sinner. So what he does is he's hammering them and hammering them and hammering them and hammering them with the law, trying to get them to the point where they see, I can't do it. I'm never going to get there by keeping the law. I'm never going to get there by keep being a good person. So at this point, if, there, if you were there that day listening to the sermon, you're probably thinking, man, this is hopeless. I, I, I mean, how can anybody meet that standard? How can any of us do this? How can any of us get in? And then in Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus said there's two gates, a wide gate and there's a little narrow gate. There's two roads, there's a wide road, and there's a whole lot of people on that road. And then there's this narrow road, and there's just a few people on that road. Now, by the way, in that passage, he doesn't tell us. Any more than that. He doesn't tell us how to find the narrow gate. He doesn't tell us how to enter the narrow gate. And I could certainly sit here today and give you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture and tell you how to enter the narrow gate. But let me say this. Jesus is the greatest communicator that I've ever seen. There's never been one like him. There will never be one like him. He has a way of taking the most complicated things and breaking them down by just telling a story so that we can understand. So this morning, I'm going to let him illustrate the narrow and the wide gates with one of the greatest parables, I think, that's ever been told. Luke 18, 10 through 12, he says this, Two men went up into the temple to pray. Two roads, two gates, two ways, two men. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you I'm not like other people. I am, I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not like that tax collector you see over there. I tithe. Of all that I get, I fast twice a week. Now, I want to stop right there. Let me tell you, folks, that is a description of the wide gate. More specifically, that is the characteristic of a person who has entered the wide gate and is on the wide road. This is a person who comes to God and says, look what I did. 
Look what I bring to the table. I fast. I tithe. I teach Bible study. I'm a pastor. I work over in the kitchen on Wednesday nights. I work in the sound booth. I go to youth on Wednesday night. I attend Bible study. I, 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 I. That is the wide road. It's a person who depends on their own works, on their own righteousness to get into heaven. And Jesus continues, verses 13 and 14. He says this, but the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified or made right with God, rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me tell you, the tax collector, that is a picture of the narrow gate. More specifically, that is a picture of the person who enters the narrow gate. The one who comes to him and says, I got nothing. I bring nothing to the table. The only thing he says about himself is I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. Have mercy. That simple. It's a person who doesn't depend on their own works, their own righteousness. They depend on Christ. Now, I want you to stop right there. And I want you to read it again. Not everyone who who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father. Many are going to come to me on that day and they're going to say, Lord, look what I did. I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I did mighty works in your name. Look at all the stuff that I did. And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Do you see it? Do you see it? Folks, that's the Pharisee. It's the same thing. It's a picture of people who are on the wide road. That is a picture of people who have entered the wide gate. The people that come to Jesus on the last day. And they say to him, look at me. Look what I did in your name. That's their evidence. That's their righteousness. Do you know why that unsettles us? Probably when I read the one about the Pharisee, it probably didn't bother you at all. But that one does. You know why? Is it because they call him Lord? Because they got right theology? Is it because their theology is better than the Pharisee? Is that why it bothers us? Or does it bother us because their acts or their works are are greater than ours? Is that what bothers us? You see, if that bothers you, you're missing the whole point. The whole point is it's not about your theology. It's not about anything you do. It's about your attitude. Both of those, that Pharisee and these men on the last day, it's all about them, what I do, what I bring to the table, what I've done in your name. What, look at my righteousness. And in that moment, I realized, that's not me. I would never say that. Not in a million years would I ever say that, standing before my Lord and my Savior. See, I knew I, I, had, I interpreted it wrong. I'd read it wrong. I'd seen it wrong. It's not about, hey, God, I teach a Bible study, I preach, I'm on... No, it's not about any of that stuff at all. 
None of that stuff matters. It's their attitude. What are you depending on when you stand before Christ? What are you depending on when you stand before Christ? Let me tell you, if you come to Him like that, if you come to Him, I've gone to church, I've done this, I've done that, if that's your evidence to know Him, He's going to look you in the eye and I guarantee you He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. That's the wide gate. But folks, let me tell you, there is a narrow gate. There is a way. And it's called the way of grace. I don't know what's happened to me in the last month. But something has happened. I I can read scripture and I start crying. I can watch advertisement on TV I start crying. I'm just, it's like something has just happened and I can't think of anything but grace. 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 God's grace. Amazing grace. Unchanging grace. Can I just tell you a story about grace? I'd like to tell you ten. I wish we could take ten hours and just sit here and talk about grace. I, I don't have time. I want to tell you one story about grace. You want to know what the narrow gate looks like? You want to know what grace looks like? You want to know what gets you into heaven? Let me tell you one story. There's this man, and uh, his whole life has been a screw-up. Everything, you know, this, what's the old saying? We got everything we, that he touches turns to gold. Well, everything this guy touched turned to junk. It's garbage. His whole life was just messed up. Everything he did was messed up. His, 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 he, when he chose uh, his friends, he always chose the wrong ones, and he got into trouble. And his life went on. He, he just became, his, his, basically in life, he became a thief. From the time he got up in the morning to the time that he went to bed at night, that's all he thought about is how do I, how do I steal from somebody? What other scheme can I come up with? What, what way can I get money without working for it, without earning it? And so he just gets into this life of, of crime, and he's got this partner, and, and they just feed off of one another. And he's absolutely miserable. It's no, he's, just a, he's just a terrible guy. And finally, one day, he gets caught. And he's had so much, it wasn't just these petty crimes, he's had so much crime, the, 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 the authorities, the government, consider him such a menace that they sentence him and his friend to death. So the day comes and they, 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 they march him out and they take him to this hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And they, they lay him down and they nail him to a cross. And they, they take him out there and they set him up and him and his friend are there and there's this other guy in between them, this man. He's never seen him, doesn't know anything about him. And for six hours... They hang on that cross. Six excruciatingly torturous, painful hours. And they're all dying. This is not going to end well. And he's, and he's at some point in there, he looks over there at that middle man and there's a sign that the soldiers put over him and it says, King of the Jews. And he looks at that man and he's, He's got a crown of thorns and you can't even recognize his face because he's bleeding so bad and his, his skin is just hanging off of him because they whipped him with a cat of nine tails. And it's just, it's a horrible, horrible sight. Six hours, he sits there and he looks at that man. And somewhere in that time, near the end, 
he looks at that man. And, 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 and what I think is the great, if this is not one of the greatest acts of faith I've ever seen in my life, I don't know what is. He looked at that man and he said this, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> kingdom? What kind of kingdom is he going to have? He's dying. He'll be dead in a few minutes. But that man, in that moment, says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that man picks his head up and looks at him and says, This day you'll be with me in paradise. That's the narrow gate. That's it. It's just that simple. You see, folks, you enter heaven one way and one way only, and that is by knowing Jesus Christ. That's it. John 17, 3 says this. this is, these are the words of Jesus himself. This is eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You better know him. What did he say to those men on that day? I never knew you. I never knew you. How do you know him? You know, it's this odd thing. It's this odd thing. Over the years, we've put together a lot of good stuff. We've created the Romans Road of Salvation and taught people to memorize Scripture and we've got the sinner's prayer and we've got all this stuff. But let me tell you, at the end of the day, it's, it's really, really simple. And it happens in a lot of different ways. Isaiah 45, 22, Charles Spurgeon, if you ever read his story, he's in a snowstorm at 15 years old. He wants to get warm. He walks in a church. And the preacher is preaching out of Isaiah 45, 22. And Isaiah 45, 22 says this, Look to me and be saved. Look to me and be saved. And the preacher says, There ain't much working in looking. You ain't got to lift a finger to look. You ain't got to exercise many muscles to look. Just look. Jesus said, just believe. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Or maybe it's just this tax collector that walks down and says, have mercy on me. Or maybe it's a man on the cross that says, remember me when I come into your kingdom. That's it. Folks, that's grace. 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 You see, it's that simple, and that's my third mistake that I made. I forgot that. I forgot that. I'm sitting there reading that, and what did I look to for my assurance? Well, what am I doing? Am I doing enough? Am I sincere enough? Am I, am I faithful enough? Am I busy enough? See, I forgot that it's not about me. The fact is, I'll never measure up. I'll never be good enough. And if I look to myself to find assurance, I will always falter. I will always fail, and I'll never find it. And by the way, let me just say that. If you're here today, and you're struggling with assurance of your salvation, let me tell you what your problem is. You're looking in the wrong place. You're looking at yourself. You just I can tell you what you're doing, because I did it. You're looking at yourself. Am I doing enough? Look to Him. Look to Him. 
If you're saved, you're saved because of faith in Him. It's got nothing to, nothing to do with what you do. In fact, God, let me just say, God has completely put works off the table. They have nothing to do with your salvation, not the day you're born again and not to the day you die. It's grace and it's grace alone. Listen, I stand here today and I can honestly say before you and God that I've never been more acutely aware of how far I fall short of the glory of God. I'm more aware today at 60 years old that I'm not even close to what He needs what He asks, what He requires. Not even close. But I can also say to you today, I stand here and I've never been more assured of my faith than I am this very moment. I've never been more assured that I serve a Savior whose death on the cross was sufficient to save me. I've never been more assured of that than right now. In 2017, I preached a message called Two Ways to Heaven. And I told people, now don't be shocked, but there are two ways to heaven. This is illustrated in the Bible by two men. Two ways, two gates, two roads, two men. This one man, this lawyer, comes to Jesus one day and he's testing. He's not interested in salvation. He's not interested. He's, he just wants to catch Jesus in some type of, of, of thing so he can do something. And so he asks him a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what's, what's the, what does the word say? What's the greatest commandment? And, they said, and the lawyer answered him. He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. And Jesus said, you're right. Now listen, do those two and you'll live. Do those two and you'll go to heaven. Do those two things. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And you love your neighbor in the exact way you love yourself. Do those two things perfectly and you'll live. You'll go to heaven. And we don't do either one of those one second of any day. Not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. But listen to me, folks. If you choose that way, if you say, I'm going to earn it, I'm going to merit it, then that's how Jesus will deal with you. That's exactly how he'll deal with you. He'll say, okay, you made your choice. And one day you'll stand before him and you'll list all these things that you did and he'll say, you don't understand, you weren't perfect. You weren't perfect. Depart from me, I never knew you. But there's another man, a guy, a jailer in a city called Philippi, who asked... Paul and Silas, the same question. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Two ways, two roads, two gates. The question this morning is, which one are you on? Which one are you on? I'm going to ask our our pastors if they will come down. Uh, I'm going to open the altar up here for prayer. And I want to say a couple things, if I can. We often ask this question at the end of a service. We say something like this. If you died today, are you absolutely sure of where you'd spend eternity? You've heard that question asked a lot. I'm going to ask a different question this morning. I want you to imagine for one moment that you've died and you're standing before Christ 
and he asks you one question, why should I let you in? Why should I let you in? What's your answer? If your answer is, look at what I did. Look at all the things I did for you. I went to church. I I put my kids in Christian school. I taught Sunday school. I was on the church board. I, 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 are you with me? If that's your answer, can I tell you something? You should be terrified. In fact, you should be at this altar before I even finish speaking. If that's what you're going to say. But folks, if you would never say that and you can truly say that your answer is Jesus, I got nothing. I, you let me in because I believe in you. I trust in you. I accept you. Then welcome to the kingdom of God. It's not about your works. It's not about your efforts. Listen, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with with looking at the things we do to bolster our assurance. But what God showed me is you can't base your assurance on those things because they go up and down. And by the way, the best you ever do is always going to come up short. It's it's never going to be enough. You based, you found your assurance on the Word of God. You base it on the fact that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, this is the altar call. If we can all stand, and we're just going to ask Kevin to, to play. If you are here today, and you're, when you think about salvation, and, and by the way, let me, can I set everybody's mind clear? Everybody worries about death. The banker, the president, the, the ditch digger, the, the, the electrician, everybody worries about dying. Everybody worries about eternity. Everybody worries about what's going to happen. And if you're here today and you're not sure, and every time you think about salvation, you think about, well, I'm doing this, or I'm doing that, or I'm, 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 no, okay, you're thinking the wrong way. That shows me there's a problem in your heart. I urge you this day, this day, don't wait. You come down here and you look to Him. You believe on Him. You ask mercy from Him. You ask Him to remember you when He comes in. I don't care what words you use. You just fall on Jesus. And you will be saved. But there's another invitation and that's for people here who are like me, you struggle with your assurance. This is something I think we don't talk about a lot, but I think it's rampant in the church today that men and women are struggling to know that they're saved. And I want to tell y'all today, there is freedom right here. It's freedom. All you got to do is ask Him, God, I want to walk in assurance. Will you show me? Will you open my eyes to see Christ? and His sufficiency. I will tell you in the last month, I've walked in more freedom and more joy than I've ever had in my life because I know it ain't about me. I know I'm going to come up short. I know I'm going to sin. I know I'm going to fail, but I'm His. I'm His, not because of me, but because of Him. There is assurance at this altar today if you don't have it. Please, don't walk out of here without asking Him. See, that's what the devil will do. He'll come in and he'll... The Bible, Jesus told a parable one time. He said that you spread the word and immediately Satan comes in and robs you and he steals it from you. You think, well, I'll deal with that later and and you never do. The freedom is right here, right now. Will you come?
Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.